Welcome back to The Feeding Pod. This is Bree, and in today's episode, I'm accompanied by Jacqueline Peterson, who is the CEO of Feeding Matters. Jacqueline is the true definition of a leader. She's energetic, kind, and empowering to those around her. Having a conversation with Jacqueline was easily like having a conversation with a good friend. She's easy to talk to, and you can tell how much she really cares about this organization and families and children with pediatric feeding disorders. In today's episode, we're going to go over what is Feeding Matters and how this can be a beneficial resource for professionals and families alike. We're going to go through what Feeding Matters has done to support pediatric feeding disorders with advocacy, as well as the new coming pediatric feeding disorder diagnostic code. We're going to go over ways to get involved with volunteering, as well as resources that are accessible for professionals to utilize. Additionally, we're going to talk about the resources available to families. They have the Power of Two coaching program, and in addition to that, they try to offer support groups and collaborate with communities to serve families in their local areas. I'm so excited for today's episode, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome to The Feeding Pod. I'm Bree, your co-host. I'm a speech-language pathologist and certified lactation counselor. I work with infants and medically complex patients with PFDs in the home and outpatient settings. I enjoy building relationships with families and I'm a firm believer in providing interdisciplinary care. I also love providing mentorship and support to upcoming and new clinicians on pediatric feeding disorders. You can find more about me on my Instagram at pediatricfeedingslp or on my website, pediatricslplibrary.com. And I'm Olivia, co-host, registered dietitian nutritionist and certified lactation counselor. I work in a pediatric clinic where I get to divide my time between working as a CLC and an RDN for infants and children. I enjoy being able to help caregivers navigate through these difficult times that include the newborn phases all the way through the teenage years. I feel that my personal experience from having a newborn who's now a toddler and a child with special needs, including a feeding disorder, really come into play. We are here to bring you multidisciplinary, evidence-based information that is easily accessible about pediatric feeding and swallowing disorders. We understand firsthand the importance of collaboration and how difficult it can be to navigate the ever-changing information on assessment and treatment of pediatric feeding disorders. The Feeding Pod is here to provide research, support, and a dash of comic relief. Now, let's dive right in. Disclaimer, all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. This is intended to be educational in nature and does not replace the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment from a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome back to the feeding pod. Um, this is Bree, and today I am here with Jacqueline Peterson, who is the CEO of Feeding Matters. Uh, she's going to be talking to us about what is Feeding Matters, what are some of the resources that they um, provide to families and uh, therapists, all of us as professionals, and uh, talking about some of the things that they do behind the scenes to advocate for pediatric feeding disorders. So Jacqueline, I'm going to pass it to you to kind of give us a brief introduction uh, to yourself. 
Wonderful. Thank you, Bree. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm Jacqueline Peterson, CEO of Feeding Matters. I'm still within my first year um, as CEO, but I have been with Feeding Matters for over eight years and just have such a passion for our mission. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. And I know that anyone I talk to at Feeding Matters loves you in the role that you are in so far. So uh, all good things are being said, but right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't probably tell you otherwise, but <laughs> uh, so in terms of Feeding Matters, if we have some listeners that are just like, what is Feeding Matters? Um, what does that mean? What is that, you know, what is that about? Just kind of give an overview of what is Feeding Matters. Sure. So Feeding Matters is a national nonprofit organization that's committed to advancing pediatric feeding disorder and really creating a world where children with pediatric feeding disorder thrive. And so we do that in a few different ways. We do that from an education perspective, uh, from an advocacy perspective, a research perspective, and a family support perspective, which is the heart of our organization is making sure that families are supported and a part of the treatment team. Awesome. How was Feeding Matters originally founded? Yeah, so our founding story is um, a story of Shannon Goldwater, who is our founder, and she's now our emeritus board member, um, super visionary thinker. She uh, had triplets who were born four months premature. And in really trying to get them the care that they needed, she was able to fly across the country to really find different resources for them. And feeding was the biggest struggle that they had, despite all of the medical challenges that, that faced them. And in really trying to find the resources that they need, needed for feeding, she realized how just separate the community around feeding was and how there was not a lot of research. There was not a lot of connection, communication, community, longitudinal research, education, so many of the system things that we still unfortunately see today. And so she really founded Feeding Matters to, to address that and to bring parents together with professionals to commit to changing the system of care and advancing it for pediatric feeding disorder. That's awesome. I mean, what a strong advocate for the community. She has impacted millions of children and it's incredible. And I mean, she was the one that said the reason that this isn't being paid attention to is because it doesn't have a name and people are calling it feeding struggles, feeding disorders, yep. feeding problems. So let's name it. Let's put, put something out there and let's give it an identity. And yeah. so- so much credit to her. So true because, you know, before, you know, we're, you know, hashtag call it PFD before <laughs> any of that, it was really like called something different in every community. And so you oh, never yeah. really knew what was being talked about. And I think that also impacted children receiving the services they need because insurance is like, what do you mean? That's not a thing. Um, we're not going to pay for, for this because they're still gaining weight or they're still, you know, there's a lot yeah. of different things that would, would go into yeah. play. And so, um, that's so awesome. And well, and it just comes back to communication. And that's like, when you think of working with a team, when you think of working with a family or even communicating to insurance companies, like unless you're talking from the same place, you are going to run into those challenges. And so mm -hmm. what we do is we try to look at like, what's the root cause of why something's happening? And yeah. that was a huge one. 
That's awesome. Awesome. So, and with Feeding Matters, um, what are some of the resources that are being offered? Um, why don't we start first with some of the resources that are offered for families and then we can go sure. to the professionals. Yeah. Yep. So for our families, um, we offer our flagship family program is called our Power of Two Coaching Program. And so essentially families can reach out to us and they do for any number of different reasons. They can call our office, they can email us and we will give them resources and access to resources. But our coaching program is where a family calls us and they need to talk to another family who's been there. Um, you know, unless you've walked these shoes and, and even as I think professionals feel like they can relate to families, but sometimes unless you've walked the shoes, you really can't empathize with what it, what it feels like in the middle of the night or trying to talk to other people yeah. about going through pediatric feeding disorder. And so our coaching program allows families a safe place to talk to another family who's been there, who can relate to them, who can help be that listening ear and that guiding voice to help empower them to advocate for their children. And so that's our Power of Two program. It's, it's huge for families. Um, it's been transformational for, I think, even us as a team to see mm -hmm. some of the things that are happening out of those partnerships. And so that's our flagship program for families, but we also offer families a slew of other resources. You know, we're starting a virtual support group. Um, we did one during COVID that went really well and, and is, is really needed. We also try to offer support to others that are starting support groups, because I know that that's a, a common thing. And then we offer access to providers. So we have a provider directory on our site. We have an infant and child feeding questionnaire. Oftentimes when families are trying to share with their providers that something's wrong and that we need to be paying attention to this, it can be hard to get the right language. It comes back to that communication. And so the infant and child feeding questionnaire really allows for that conversation to happen around what are those red flags that we need to be talking about? And, and, and let's get to the reason why. Mm -hmm. um, so that's our infant and child feeding questionnaire. One of the things that we're most proud of recently has been our family guide. Mm -hmm. And um, that is, I like to say it's like a pediatric feeding 101 for families that are new to the disorder. Um, just gives you a, an understanding of, you know, from our perspective, are we looking at the medical domain? Are we looking at the feeding skill domain? Are we looking at the nutrition domain? Are we looking at the psychosocial domain? Um, because Unfortunately, the medical home does still fall to families a lot, or even, you know, our feeding skill, our feeding therapists that are out there. And um, so offering any resources that we can to families is really important for us. Yeah, um, I think I think that's great too, because um, as a family with, you know, that has a child with a pediatric feeding disorder, it can be super unknown territory and uh, knowledge really is power. And so by providing these families with more information, more resources and more support, I feel that it just empowers them and helps them feel more confident in what is going on, what they need to advocate for, how to care for their child and um ultimately, if you have a caregiver that feels stronger and feels more empowered, then they're going to be better equipped to, to take on what is needed. Oh, for sure. Knowledge certainly is power. And so we try to do everything we can to get that information out there to our families. That's why our families are always welcome to come to our conference um, and any of our other educational efforts. Yeah, I love that. So in terms of what Feeding Matters does, you know, in some of their other pillars that really yeah. supports other professionals and that realm, what is being offered? Yeah, so uh, specifically in our education pillar, 
we have our International Pediatric Feeding Disorder Conference. And that typically was an in-person conference held every other year. In January of 2020, actually before the whole world went virtual, we went virtual with that conference um, to look at doing it annually. Um, we had had a lot of uh, great feedback from the conference. And for us, the conference is a convening of everybody passionate about PFD and about feeding and wanting the latest resources, the latest evidence-based information. Um, and so not only do we see the conference as the opportunity for people to learn and be educated about pediatric feeding disorder and identification and treatment, but it for us is a center point for our community. It's a time for us to listen to those that are on the front lines. It's a time for us to show how collaborative care can work in regards to parents partnering with professionals. Mm -hmm. So for us, the conference is so much more than just a typical educational event. Yeah. And I can speak to attending that <laughs> uh, a few times and it is a remarkable experience as a professional. And I, the courses, the conversation and dialogue that occurs, I think is so important where even outside of the courses you're taking, you are having, um, you know, speakers, I know, um, like Kyler, Romeo spoke and was like, you know, give us feedback. What do you need? And that's just so, it's so great as a provider to have people asking you those questions, knowing that they're going to take that information and take action on it because there are resources that we still need to be able to support families and provide the care that we ultimately are all trying to achieve. And we, you know, we all want success and we all want progress. And so, yeah, the conference is just truly unlike anything other. And I, I enjoy it every year and I tell everybody to go attend every year. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, it's, it's so, so great. I do personally hope there's an in-person one in the future again, because, um, I, I like that side of it, but you know, with the pandemic and stuff that might be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit out there. The other thing I love that you all do with the conventions is you have like the sharing of the virtual business cards because I network and make so many connections with people that way. And I'm I so glad to hear it. that. Yeah, yeah. Like I speaking of we're, we're recording this in August, but last week I met with someone in person that I had met through the conference because, you know, everyone says where they're from. And I was like, hold on, you're only 40 minutes from me. And then we were able to connect and collaborate and it just helps you feel not so alone in what you're doing and that you can make those connections too. So that was really awesome. Well, that's just wonderful to hear in so many different ways. I, I'm glad that people are using that networking opportunity. I'm glad that you're acting on it. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the conference a few years ago when it was in person, the conference was called like, it takes a village. Mm. And it really does. And I think that has become kind of a rallying cry around our thought process about this. And mm. if it really does take a village, we need to be listening and we need to be really making sure we're acting on what we're hearing. And it's not just lip service that we're a listening kind of organization. And so there are so many times when we hear all of these great ideas and we want to act on them soon, but it does take time to do things. And so yeah. the community has been patient with us in regards to really trying to, to give you all quality resources that you need. Um, and in your trust in us to do that has been incredible. And that's where I think um, you can build that patience and that trust because when something does come out, it is 
high quality, like immediately implementable into whatever we're doing. And so it's very much appreciated. And, you know, even the ICFQ card, which we'll, we can talk more about in a minute when we talk about all the other things, because like things like that are just immediate. I can take that. I can implement it. And it serves so many families right away. Good. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's the secret to it, I think is really trying to make sure it's usable for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have such a reach across the nation and internationally. And so we hold value in that and we want to make sure we're giving you what you need to be able to go out there and advocate in your communities, because that's, what's going to get awareness around PFD out there. And, um, you know, that's also what I feel like we can offer to professionals and to families is, you have a platform to advocate for this issue that you care so much about and hopefully you do it with us and and in partnership with us. And then, um, you know, with our pediatric feeding disorder Alliance, that's another great opportunity to be connected to a community. And there's listening that happens through that at the conference, but there's also listening that happens through that during our town hall, which we do kind of a few months out of the conference. Mm -hmm. And um, we're trying to figure out how do we keep that spirit from the conference alive of that connection and dialogue and all the things that make the conference great. Um, so we're working on some things and, and we're happy to share more as they come out. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really exciting. So as a um, professional too, I know you all have a great um, section on your website, which is feedingmatters.org, if anyone's not familiar with it, of just resources. Um, and that is a great point um, or a great section of the website where if someone is looking up something or of a topic or things like that's a great section to be able to find that information. Yeah. So from our website, there are many different resources. I think in regards to if you're a family, you can use the resources in one way. There's appeal letters that you can use. There's, there's some very specific family resources. There's also very specific professional resources um, that you can implement into your practice or you can use, you know, out in the community as you're advocating for PFD. But then there's also another layer of, uh, I guess, a second level per se of resources. And that's, you know, do you feel passionate about talking about pediatric eating disorder with others, with universities out there speaking about this? And um, so some of those resources are like our, we've got a, a, like a presentation deck about pediatric eating disorder and what the diagnostic code is and how, how that looks. And so that's some of the important resources that we have on our website too. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, like I said, all of those resources are great. And I truly feel that when feeding matters is listening to you, they're taking that information and going to act on it in a quality manner to try to provide support. So I am not being paid by feeding matters to say that I really just think they are awesome. Just so everybody knows, like they're just great. Um, so Jacqueline, I want to talk a little bit more about the ICFQ card. I want to go into that of like, how did that even come about? What was some of the research that was done beforehand? What does that look like now? And then why is it important? Right. Well, um, it's funny that you talk about quality products because it does take a very long time. So the infant and child feeding questionnaire was, you know, we, we consider ourselves consensus builders. And that infant and child feeding questionnaire was one of our first, it was, it was our first consensus effort. And we had, and it wasn't me at the time, but it was our founder and and the former CEO, Chris Lynn, gathered healthcare professionals, medical experts in the pediatric feeding disorder world and said, okay, 
you know, you guys all may disagree on treatment. You may have different research in different areas, but like, what can we agree on? And everybody across the board said, we can agree that we're not seeing kids early enough. We're seeing them at three or four years old when if you ask their feeding history, we know they were struggling when they were breastfeeding or when they were transitioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that agreement was the powerful catalyst to really building the infant and child feeding questionnaire. So then it took three years from that point to develop our questionnaire, which exists on our website, feedingmatters.org, and it really asks different questions about mealtimes, and it's age, it's it's across different ages, so there's technically like 11 different questionnaires, mm-hmm. um, feeding development between zero to three, and so there's many different questions, and so after that came out, and it was also a really great educational piece for families, like I kind of mentioned before, is that anticipatory guidance for families to talk about what's typical at mealtime, mm-hmm. and, and, and that education can help a family know oh, what I'm doing is not typical. It may feel like my my typical and my, my normal, but it, it's it's not what others the same with mm-hmm. children the same age are doing. And um, so we had experts that said, you know, we should research this. This could be integrated into well-child visits because yeah. they're not, they're, 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 there's no space on any sort of pediatrician well-child visit that asks about feeding. Right. And it's a common question. You know, I have an almost two-year-old and, and so every single time it's like one of the first question out, out of the pediatrician's mouth and they know to ask about feeding. Um, but it's a matter of like, do they have the information and the tools to know what to do next when the answer comes? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to, I think also dig further when there is a response that's like uncertain of, you know, how do you really decipher of this child needs a referral or maybe that's just some typical developmental, um, changes that are going on. And so, yeah, I definitely think that's important because, uh, there are sometimes that wait and see approach. And what we know about early intervention is that the earlier, the better, uh, I'm a big advocate for when in doubt, refer out and just get it because you can have someone say, actually, no, I think we're good, but you can't have that if you don't just get the referral. And so um, earlier definitely, definitely is better. And so I know through that questionnaire, which, you know, that had multiple questions and you all kind of took that information. And then what were some of those, you know, the findings that ended up coming up with this just real short rack card, which is so convenient. (laughs) Yeah. To get to the rack card, we did a pilot research project for a few years and published that information and then did a bigger cohort to see if like it mattered um, versus age, how you were taking the questionnaires. And so that's where we eventually ended up mm-hmm. with our six questions that work really well and allows for, you know, a, a, a professional to screen quickly and for a family to know, you know, like does mm-hmm. your baby or child let you know when they're hungry? Do you think your baby or child eats enough? How many minutes does it usually take to feed your baby or child? Do you have it do anything special? Do you, does your baby child let you know when he's full? And then do you have any concerns based on the questions above? That question was really powerful. Yes. And it's great that it came out from a research perspective because, you know, Feeding Matters has been saying, listen to families. They know <laughs> something's wrong. Mm-hmm. But for that question to make it in there to say, yeah, you know, we need to listen to families because if they feel like something's wrong, it typically is lining up that way. Yeah. Um, that was really powerful. And so we said, okay, 
with the latest study that came out last year from this work, we have these questions and now we can start promoting and disseminating this information. And so that's why it was so important to make that RAC card um, to be able to share that with pediatricians, with professionals, for them to share it with families and to, for them to share it with other professionals. And now we're looking at, okay, what's the, you know, what's the next iteration of that? What partnerships do we need to develop? Is there a different way to build that rack card to make it more useful and functional, um, especially from the pediatrician's perspective? Mm -hmm. No, definitely. And I, I love that it was broken down into just six questions. And like you said, that last question is so powerful because not only are we saying like, no, no, really like parents know what they're talking about. The, the study that was done backs that, but if there is parental concern at all, if there is caregiver stress about a meal time, that that needs to be a red flag. That needs to be something that says, hey, why don't we go talk to somebody about this? Because mealtime should not be. It should be a positive, enjoyable experience. And so if that's not happening, that you know can be enough to kind of give that push. So yeah, I appreciate the card. I share it with pediatricians in my area because like you said, it's like they'll quickly screen over like what are me, you know, how are meal times? And then yeah. they just kind of move on. And so this is something that while the caregiver is sitting there waiting, they can just briefly look at it. And then also from the other side is a caregiver can bring that to their physician and say, Hey, I was going through this. And I, I think there's some concerns that, you know, I might, might warrant a referral. So I think from both sides, it can really benefit in getting earlier referrals. Yeah, it, I think it really can. And, and so when you're bringing it to professionals in the community, what have you found has been the best way to share this with, with pediatricians? So typically when I'm doing it, which of course, um, COVID's put a little bit of a damper on this is I love to do just like lunch and learns. Um, and so coming in and providing lunch, um, and then saying, Hey, here's what I do. Here's some of the patients that I work with. Here's how I approach things. And then presenting the, um, the card with them. Um, I think providing it in a way where I'm giving a little bit of the educational side of why I'm presenting this to them helps versus just, Hey, here's some papers, you know, mm -hmm. here's some handouts of something that might help. The other thing I think, um, is good is I have like one pediatrician specifically I work with who she just holds on to it. And then she'll just go through the questions. So that way it's not like you need a bunch of copies of it. It could literally be like a laminated one single card that they just have with them. So when they're doing these well visits, they just can quickly reference it and go through those questions with I the family that. too. Yeah. Because yeah. um, it's like, you know, there's always like posters or different little things up. Oh, yeah. And so that can easily be something that's just like, they're reading through it of like, oh, and what's this? You know, if you have any of these concerns, talk to us about it. Um, yeah. And then they're able to kind of bring it up that way as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So um, I do think that like, I, you know, always try to remind professionals like pediatricians and specialized physicians, like they are people just like we are. And yeah. they also just like, I didn't, I, you don't know what you don't know. And I think that's where it slightly becomes our response, not slightly, it does become our responsibility to make sure that we are sharing that information as well. And so a lot of times I bring that and they're like, wow, awesome. Like th this makes sense. This is great because I always wondered 
should I refer this kid or not? And, you know, we end up doing wait and see. And then sometimes, unfortunately, that's too late um, in terms of like, okay, well, now the child's failure to thrive and what are we going to do? And then it becomes urgent. Uh, and so getting them in earlier um, can prevent a lot of some those other things from occurring. Yeah. And you bring up a great point. It's not necessarily their fault. You know, they, they are not given that education that goes back to like what we're trying to do with the system work is, you know, they, they, they just don't have the information to foundation, uh, to be able to, to make a, a good decision. And so I love that, that the idea that we've got professionals out there, especially our feeding therapists that are so close to our families, really helping guide our pediatricians to know kind of when to pay attention to it, what to do. Yeah, definitely. And I know um, for me as well, I have, um, there's been a um, medical school that I've also done um, a talk for. They actually put it in one of their courses now of like, did you know that speech therapists also do this? And like, yes. this is really important and you need to be like referring for this. And so trying to implement it even in that level of before you're out in the field, at least because I, I totally get it. Like family physicians, pediatricians, you have to know a lot. You have to so know much information. all the things. And uh -huh. like, if there's other things that are taking priority, that can be skipped over. Um, and so I think coming in and making sure that we are advocating for our field as feeding therapists of, hey, this is also what we do because they get out of the program and oftentimes still don't know or even know that like that's something to refer for. You know, um, a lot of times they just think feeding, nutrition, dietitian, and yep. that's kind of all the support that they get. Yeah. One of our biggest stories that we have when we try to tell people about that is uh, Dr. Williams here at Phoenix Children's. She's a pediatric GI and was talking to pediatric residents and presented a case and asked them, you know, with this case, would you refer out to GI, to, 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 to therapists, to dietitians, any of it, no one raised their hand. And then she presented the PFD information and, and the diagnostic criteria behind PFD. And then every single one was like, oh yeah, we need to refer out. And it's like, that's what we need to be doing, especially mm -hmm. in the schools um, and, and, and medical programs that are out there. Yeah, yeah. I give a special shout out. It's the West Virginia School of Osteopathic Medicine to, to implement that. And so I was really excited to be able to speak and kind of just give my short like, hey, this is this is what we do. And and also, I think letting pediatricians know, like, you don't have to carry all of this. There are specialists out here that can help with that. So you don't feel like that child's mealtime status is all on you um, and that there are other resources for them as well. Something else I always like to mention too is, again, they are just like us. And so if I get a referral from a pediatrician, I let them know when there is a success. I let them know when there is progress made because they don't get to hear those wins all the time like we do as, as therapists. And so yeah. I want to make sure that they are aware like, hey, your referral has gotten this child to this spot. Um, oh, that's that's like a celebrate. dream from a communication standpoint. Yeah. Is like, that's how you build those relationships with providers in your area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, I like, I, it takes time and it, it takes effort and it really does. But once you establish those relationships, the care is just exponentially better. So um, I love yeah. that. So the, 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 all that to say the rack card, go print it right now. Um, <laughs> go get it. It's awesome. Use it, share it, all the things. Um, so, all right. So I kind of, you know, as we're, we're getting to the, 
end of our um, podcast, I want to talk more about the diagnostic code. So before we get into like the super exciting news, um, what went on with that? You know, this is like a, a big, big, big project as well. And so what is the history behind it? Um, how did that, you know, come to be and where are we at with it now? <laughs> yeah, it's a huge undertaking. Um, so from a historical standpoint, I shared that Shannon had the vision for pediatric feeding disorder. And so that as a project in and of itself to get the consensus paper out and published in peer reviewed journal was a really difficult undertaking um, in regards to bringing together experts and, and getting to a consensus and then writing the paper and getting partners on board and then getting it in. And so we're so grateful to have that out in the literature for people to be able to use and reference and, and acknowledge. And so once that came out, we knew that the next step of this work would be getting that validity in the diagnostic manual. And so, you know, we're an, organ an advocacy organization for an issue that hasn't existed really, you know, kind of on paper yeah. before. And so we didn't really know what we were doing in regards to what's the even path that you follow to get yeah. this. Mm -hmm. So we talked to lots of different partners. We just kept calling and asking and and that's really honestly how a lot of advocacy efforts and awareness efforts it work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so we were grateful to, we had partners at um, AppFed who had done it with the EOE codes before. And they were able to share what had worked on their side of things and, and how, you know, some of the nuances of the work. And then we were lucky enough that the AAP got behind this effort and that Dr. Godet and then our former medical director, Dr. Jaime Phelan, were able to present it through the AAP. And so that brought a lot of credibility to this as an issue when you're bringing it up to the CDC through the AAP. Mm -hmm. And so that was really helpful. We were also able to reach out to our partners and get different letters of support from ASHA, from AOTA, from the um, National Coalition for Infant Health and Aspen. So there's lots of partners that are behind an effort like this. Mm -hmm. And that just takes, you know, the relationships that we've built for years of people that are passionate about helping with this and, and activating them. And, and then in addition to the letters of support, ASHA and AOTA were also very um, just pivotal in regards to the language with which was used to present to make sure that it fit um, the coding language that's necessary. You know, when you think treatment, you think about it from one lens, but if you're thinking coding, it's like a completely different lens. Oh. And, and so that took a little bit of I, almost like a translation. Yeah. Um, in, you know, what's needed from a treatment and functional perspective versus what's needed from a diagnostic perspective. And Honestly, just from a background on the diagnostic code, the, the consensus paper was built around the ICF. So it was built to be in uh, functional and, and mm -hmm. around the ICF and really taking into consideration all that's involved. And yeah. that has a hard time translating into the ICD, but having an ICD code in the United States is so important. And we hope that we can build on that. Yeah, definitely. And I think the code, what it really helps with is getting a base understanding of like inclusion exclusion like what is considered for this diagnosis because like you said there was a lot of let's call it feeding difficulties like let's call it feeding difficulties of infancy let's call it unspecified like there yeah. was just so many different codes being used and this allows for that inclusion of what it is and not just medical 
not just nutritional, not just feeding skill, not just psychosocial, but the fact that those often overlap. Um, and I think that like, I, I can honestly say, I don't know that I've ever seen a child with just one area of it. Like it's very rare. Like they just coincide and which is they why do. multidisciplinary care is really important because yeah. if you don't have the other avenue managed, you're not going to make much progress as a feeding therapist. Um, and so I, I love that about the paper and that it goes really in depth for that, but I could totally see where it would be difficult to take all of that and put it into a diagnostic code. Yeah. Like, I mean, kind of behind the curtain sort of things. It's like, do we do, are there different markers for if it's in this domain versus that domain? And then we got into, yeah, yeah. You don't, it's typically not just one domain. That's why it's built for itself. Yeah. Uh, so it was it, the, you know, the breakdown of the code codes is, is a uh, chronic versus um, acute. And so that was the furthest we got in terms of the nuance of it. Yeah, no. And, and that makes sense. So uh, what can we expect from this code? When's it coming? What are all of those details? Well, like the building the code itself, um, we're still trying to figure out what that means and how that looks. Um, what we are doing as an organization to support our community is we're building an ICD toolkit for pediatric feeding disorder. And so that is complete with the resources you need as a clinician or you need as a family to really leverage this code being out there. And so that's also, you know, what do you need for your own practice and for working with families? But what do you need when you're talking to insurance companies? And we've seen a lot of success of people just sharing the consensus paper with medical directors at insurance companies. And so it's going to take that sort of awareness and outreach from all of our community members once this comes out because using the code becomes extremely important right now. Mm -hmm. um, so the code comes out October 1st. When it gets integrated into systems, that's the kind of the gray area right now. It seems like that happens at different times depending on what medical record system you use and how that all works. And so we'll work through that. Um, but I would say once the year 2022 hits, like as a feeding community, we can hit the ground running and making sure that we're coding children that have PFD with the PFD codes, helping the insurance companies understand what PFD is. And then that will lay the groundwork for all of the other things that need to happen in regards to insurance changes and research um, on, on, on effectiveness. There's just so yeah. much that needs to happen with this code. Definitely. You know, we were, as we were trying to figure out like how we need to make our case for pediatric feeding disorder, especially as we're talking to the general public, mm -hmm. a lot of it, like the first question we get, how many kids have PFD? You can't pull that because everybody's using so many different codes. Yes. And so that's why, you know, when we, when we tried to move the prevalence work forward with Dr. Goodday, it was like, okay, he, he, him and his team built what they, you know, what the best that they could do without having a code. Mm -hmm. And that's where we got our more than one in 37 children under the age of five have PFD. Um, but once this code's out there, it'll be so interesting to see how, what happens with that prevalence yeah, number. Definitely. Because from a research perspective, it is really difficult to read an article and say like, okay, does this apply to the child? Because what's their definition of what's oh, going yeah. on? Because mm -hmm. it's, it, it does vary so very much, so, so much um, yeah. in terms of diagnoses. Yeah. The literature was using, uh, I think it's like the 25 to 45% number or whatever for a lot of the, the feeding problems. Yeah. It, feeding problems, that's a fine. So that's a big question there. And that gets back to the root cause that we, we tried to do yeah. with the consensus paper. Um, but also 
we had someone who really looked at where that was coming from. And that was a study done like 40 years ago, 35 years ago or something yeah. that everybody just kept re-referencing. And so you're like, okay, mm -hmm. we need something to be able to use and leverage. Definitely, definitely. No, I'm really, really excited about it. And I just love that it's a code that harps on the the four domains and how like there are so many different aspects that influence feeding and it's important for us to look at all of them and to show that it it is medically necessary for these children to receive services and support. Yes, love that. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, okay. How, if people want to be involved, if people want to help and learn more, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, we kind of, it's like a choose your own adventure, I think. Yeah, <laughs> of like how you want to be involved with feeding matters. Which is so great though, because sometimes you try to be involved in an organization and the level of involvement's really, really high or like yeah. you're not at all. And you're like, where's my role with this? And I love that feeding matters kind of allows you to pick um, and you can bump it up at times and bring it down at times. And it, it can just fit your lifestyle really well. Well, that's the goal. So I'm glad that that's being achieved because, yes. <laughs> you know, we all live lives and, and we're well aware that like you, you know, you've got your, your professional life and you've got your personal family life and all the other hobbies or things that you like. And then you're also dedicating your time to volunteer for feeding matters. Like we, we know that we're, you know, we're just grateful that people are volunteering their time with us. And so we want to be able to be flexible. And so, yeah, so it's a choose your own adventure. I think number one, making sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram and, and anywhere else. And, and just to be able to like and share our things because mm -hmm. that gets the information about pediatric feeding disorder to your networks. And if you're just impacting one family that had never heard that diagnosis before and they know to go and ask their pediatrician about it, I think that's, that's a reason to share some of our work. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to get a little bit more involved, I would join PFD Alliance and see some of the stuff that's coming in there or, you know, some of the resources you can find that are specific to Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance members on the portal. Um, and then there's, yeah, more volunteering that we always need. There's lots of volunteer projects that, that come out, um, definitely volunteering. And if you just want to be a fan from afar, I think that's great too. You know, we're a nonprofit. We always encourage people to donate to us. Um, just because we are doing this work and, and it does take a lot to be able to do this work. And so I always try to mention that as well. Yeah, definitely. And I, I do like that you all have so many different avenues where you can support. And so you can be, you know, right up there on the sideline and, and diving in onto the court, or you can say, okay, I'm going to stay back a little bit, but also the flexibility of that can alternate depending on where you are, yeah. um, in your life at, at different times. So I really, really appreciate that. Um, is there anything else you want to share about Feeding Matters or say that um, is important for listeners to know? I just am grateful for our community. You know, um, it's so cool to be able to talk to people like you that are out there, you know, promoting the importance of feeding and really trying to get resources out to the communities and uh, anyone I talk to, you hear their passion for this issue and you hear their passion for families. And that's something that is, it's just amazing to be a part of. And so I'm grateful for all you're doing. I'm grateful for all your listeners and for everybody that kind of supports feeding matters, no matter what your level of involvement mm -hmm. looks like. 
Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, Jacqueline, and everything Feeding Matters is doing to support these families. And um, I hope people, you know, can walk away from this episode and really understand all the things that are going on there. And that it is, like you said, it does take a village and it's important for um, both ends of us to be listening and acting and spreading awareness because education and knowledge is power. And it's really important for us to spread that so that we can be helping these families earlier and providing um, better support along the way. So. Completely agree. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in on today's episode. We hope you'll continue to follow us along as well as reach out and follow us on Instagram at the feeding pod. If you enjoyed this podcast, We hope you'll take a second to leave a review. If you want to get Ash's CEUs for listening, plus more courses and resources, visit pediatricslplibrary.com. Wherever you are, whoever you are, we hope you have a great day.